Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis. And Book Talk is brought to you by MJ Network. And we're going to honor today New York Times best author Don Bentley joins us to talk about his book, Forgotten More. As a team, Matt Drake and his partner, Frodo, have watched each other's backs through some very dark days. But one thing they've never doubted was their commitment to each other until now. But Frodo was accused of a war crime that took place 10 years ago after leaving Afghanistan. And author Don Bentley is here to talk about it. Good morning, and how are you? Good morning, Fran. I'm well. Thanks for having me back again. Yep. This book is really interesting, and I have a lot of people that have hands out that want it and told them about Amazon. So why, why did you target Afghanistan and the war that was devastating to that country? And about that first scene, how did you create that between Matt and Fred? Of course, they're friends. Yeah, so to answer your first question, um, Forgotten War is the fourth book in the Matt Drake series. And so for folks um, just jumping into the series, Matt Drake works for the Defense Intelligence Agency, or DIA, which is very similar to the CIA, but it reports to the military. And Matt's job is to be a spy. So he goes overseas and recruits assets and runs them. And he has a best friend named Frodo, who uh, Frodo is his friend's um, radio call sign. Frodo used to be a sniper in Delta Force and then was detailed to DIA to be Matt's bodyguard in the first book, and they've been together ever since. And so I got, when I was sitting down to write Forgotten War, I wanted to do two things. The first is I'd gotten a ton of reader mail saying, man, wouldn't it be cool or we would love to see kind of Matt and Frodo's origin story, how they originally came together Mm. or maybe one of their first missions. And so Forgotten War takes place in two different timelines, one being – 10 years earlier where Matt and Frodo are doing their first operation together in Afghanistan. And the second one being in the summer of 2021 in August during our withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so I am a veteran of Afghanistan. I was deployed there as an air cavalry troop Mm -hmm. commander between 2005 and 2006. I flew Apache helicopters. And so um, when I was watching our withdrawal, our tragic withdrawal from Afghanistan and watching the country crumble and watching 20 mm. years of blood and treasure and, and lives lost just get poured down the drain. It affected me pretty profoundly. And so I was sitting down to write what would become Forgotten War, and I knew that Afghanistan had to be a centerpiece to that book. And as I was trying to, to process what was happening, I had many, many veteran friends who were texting me and calling me, and, and I was doing the same to them. And, and the one theme in all of our conversations seemed to be 
the question, was it worth it? Was anything that we did there worth it? Were the lives lost worth it? Was the 20 years we as a nation mm. spent there worth it? And so while Forgotten War is very much a novel, it's very much um, fiction, the events in Forgotten War, many of them are true and many more of them are based loosely on actual events. But the conversations between the veterans depicted in Forgotten War are very, and and what forms kind of the emotional backbone of the book, very much reflects um, what I was going through and what the fellow Afghan veterans I knew was going through. And so to, to answer your second question, when the book starts, the other thing I wanted to do a little bit differently is normally Frodo and Matt operate together, and the book is about the two of them going off and, and causing trouble as Matt does. And this one I wanted to show a little bit more of even though you get to see Matt and Frodo working together in the alternate timeline and what happened 10 years previously in Afghanistan, I wanted to show what it would be like if Matt had to navigate um, this situation without Frodo's help. And so when the book starts, two Army CID or Criminal Investigation mm. Division agents arrest Frodo for murder, and it's for a murder that allegedly took place in Afghanistan 10 years prior on an operation Matt and Frodo were on together. And so Matt immediately sets to um, clear his friend's name, and he starts by going to the other men, the other Green Berets, because Matt and Frodo were augmenting an ODA or Operational Detachment Alpha Green Beret team in Afghanistan, And he starts to go to the other men who were in the compound with Frodo when the alleged murder um, took place. But each of those men um, have have died under mysterious circumstances. And so Matt has to go back to Afghanistan to find the one person who was with Frodo that night and knows what actually happened, and it's their Afghan interpreter, but he has to do that as Afghanistan's crumbling and as the Taliban is overrunning Kabul and Bagram and everything. And so that's kind of how it all came to be. Well, what got me was that at the end when they came to arrest him, that he didn't want to stop them. Matt was trying to stick up yeah. for him, and he didn't, want him, he didn't want to stop them. He said, yeah, I should, you know, I should do that. And that bothered yeah. me. I said, wait a minute, Frodo, you got to be here. You can't do this. <laughs> This is a, this is truly yeah. a book about loyalty and friendship because that goes over the top. I don't think I don't know if he would do that for anybody else. <laughs> no, and and so what you're talking about, what Matt can't figure out is once Frodo gets arrested, Matt goes to visit Frodo in prison, and the only thing Frodo yeah. will tell him is that I'm guilty. I, he'll just say I'm guilty, I'm guilty, and Matt and Matt says, you know, I was there with you that night. You didn't murder anybody. And the only thing Frodo will say is I'm Mm. guilty. And so the first part of the book very much reads like, excuse me, like almost a whodunit, as Matt is trying to unravel what allegedly happened in this murder, in this operation gone wrong, and then that leads him back in. And so it very very much is a story about friendship and about Mm. honor and about honoring that brotherhood that was forged in combat because it's very much reflective of the veterans that I know of both Iraq and Afghanistan because when you go to combat with somebody, it Mm. acts as a crucible and it takes even great friendships and it transforms them into something beyond that, into what truly is a brotherhood. And I wanted to be able to depict that in Forgotten War. You did. 
I hope I got it in my <laughs> review, which I, which I posted it yesterday on my site so I wouldn't forget. But I know the book's coming out next Tuesday, May 2nd, everybody. Yeah, uh, it actually came out yesterday. It came out yesterday, so it's available it did? everywhere. I, and, and on my yesterday. phone it says, and on the press release I got, it wrote, they wrote May 2nd. See how nice? Could then yeah. I get to post my five stars later, which is really good. <laughs> I know right. I'm on a right. I'm on a book tour today and I didn't get such a nice review the first one. Oh well. Oh uh, no. Yeah, they said they liked the book and they couldn't understand why the characters are dead. They're telling the story because they were wrongly accused, but they're dead. Telling what happened and mm-hmm. it, they dictated it to me. They're all true. So why would I change mm-hmm. the character development when the story was told to me that way? So oh well, what can you do? So, tell us about Layla and her family, and who does Matt call for help? That was surprising, too. Yeah, so um, Matt is married to a woman named Lila who is half Afghan and half Pakistani. And Lila is a fictional Mm -hmm. character, but her heritage is based on a woman um, that I served with. And I always thought it was um, super unique that she had that background, and so I stole Mm. it and um, made her Matt's wife. And so... As the book unfolds, there are several different things happening at the same time. And so kind of the the heartbeat or the metronome of the book is the Taliban slowly, or not slowly, quickly overrunning Afghanistan and, and city after city falling. And, and you know, you're, you're watching the, the horror um, of, of people running for their lives and stuff from the Taliban. And then on top of that, certainly Matt is working to try and clear Frodo's name and to get in to find this interpreter Mm -hmm. before the country completely locks down. And then to take that one step further, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be, you know, we made a whole lot and rightfully so about the Americans and the Afghan allies that were left in Afghanistan um, when we so abruptly pulled out. And so one of the, um, one of the, uh, the subplots of the book is that Lila has a family friend who's a young yeah. teenage girl, I think she's 19 or something, that traveled to Kabul to attend a wedding, and now she's trapped there. And so Lila's mom comes because she doesn't know exactly what Matt does, but she knows he isn't an accountant. And so she comes to ask her daughter, daughter's help, um, to ask Matt to go to Afghanistan to try and find this girl um, as he's he's going over there to try and save the Afghan interpreter too. And so it kind of adds another um, layer of context to that. And then usually because Matt works for the DIA, usually when he goes overseas, it's sanctioned and he has the, the entire weight of the United States government behind him. But because of our posture in Afghanistan that was we're just trying to get out, we're not trying to put anybody else in, his boss mm. at the DIA won't let him go there. And so Matt's forced to put together kind of this ragtag team of veterans who are very much like the folks from the Pineapple Express that just went over there and did what needed to be done. And that, I mean, that's a fascinating aspect of it too. I think maybe not since Mm -hmm. Dunkirk when the British civilians rescued the British army and kept them from being crushed by the Nazis has a civilian population stepped up and done what a government couldn't or wouldn't do. And so I wanted to show that, too, and then I thought, you know, if Matt is going overseas on this trip with these operators, who is going to bankroll them? And so I have a character that's very loosely based on Ross Perot, who provides Mm. them with an aircraft and just says, hey, 
you can take this. The only thing I'm asking is that when you bring my airplane home, it's full of Afghans. Who, you know, that's that's what I'm asking. And for mm-hmm. folks who aren't familiar with what Rosh Perot has since passed away, he is very um, famous within the special operations community for his the things he would do for the families of um, special operators, whether it's funding treatment um, for their special needs kids or using his own airplane so people could move to the best hospitals in the world or mm-hmm. helping people financially. And he does did all of that and his foundation and companies and stuff, I think, continue that work. He did all of it quietly and behind the scenes and without recognition just because he thought it was the right thing to do. And so I wanted to give, in fact, there's an amazing story um, that that Frederick um, Forsyth, uh, the guy that wrote Day of the Jackal, wrote about Ross Perot actually going to Iran and rescuing his employees who had been taken hostage there and it's called On the Wings of Eagles, and it's just an incredible, incredible story. And so I wanted to add a little bit of that into the Forgotten War as well. That's amazing. I don't think people even realize about this war. I don't think I don't think kids in school even know about it. And if they do, no. they're not. The teachers aren't properly trained to teach them that. I know it's it's scary. It's sad. It's really sad. I mean, I taught for a very long time, and everybody knew who Martin Luther King was. Now I couldn't tell you if they know anything, other than they get a day off from school, which means nothing. So sure. tell, tell us about Bagram, that, and that would explain his – what happened in Bagram? That would explain his arrest, and who's Special Agent Rollins, and why does Matt need his help? Then there are a couple of terms that I need to find. Yeah, so um, Special Agent Rawlings is a a member of the FBI and um, Mm. the Austin Resident Agency. So the the FBI um, offices, so I was an FBI agent for a couple of years in Dallas, and what happens is the Mm. major offices are in big cities like Dallas, and then they have um, kind of what are branch offices that are called RAs in the smaller cities. And so, for instance, the Austin RA is part of – um, the larger office in San Antonio, I believe it is. So anyway, Agent Rawlings is somebody who um, has been kind of a supporting character or a small of character throughout the books. And in Forgotten War, my newest book that just came out Tuesday, I wanted to give him kind of a larger role. And so when the CID agents mm. come in to arrest um, Frodo, Matt mm. does what he does to try and stop the arrest, and one of the things he does is he calls Agent Rawlings to ask for a copy of the warrant, and that's when you start to realize there's more going on here because mm. the warrant itself is sealed, and they won't they won't um, release it. Um, it's redacted, and so um, so that's who Agent Rawlings is. As far as Bagram, so Bagram is the um, air base uh, originally, I think, um, constructed by the Russians, and then over 20 years. Mm. Uh, we, the Americans and NATO, made it much bigger, and it was kind of our focal point, our center of gravity uh, for Afghanistan because it had runways that you could bring in heavier planes. And so lots of folks coming into Afghanistan would arrive in Bagram and then flow out through the country. And so when the Taliban were allowed to take Bagram, that severely hampered our response when we went to mm-hmm. go um, get people out. Bagram was very easy to secure. It was a military uh, post it, 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 things could have been a lot different. I, I believe if we would have held on to Bagram or allowed um, the Afghans, supported the Afghans 
holding on to Bagram as opposed to trying to run the evacuation out of um, Kabul airport, which is, I've flown in there many, many times. It only has one runway. It's very small. It's very mm. hard to defend. It's ringed with mountains um, that actually, back when the Russians had it, the Afghans used to rocket them from those uh, mountains. And so Bagram becomes kind of a centerpiece in this story in that the operation that Matt and Frodo went on in which Frodo's charged for murder 10 years earlier originated out of Bagram um, when Matt comes back into Afghanistan to try and find um, the Afghan interpreter who can clear Frodo's name. He flies into Bagram into, or, or into actually Kabul. But um, so, so Bagram was very center. Uh, and, and Bagram also had a um, kind of a notorious prison where a lot of the high-level mm. Taliban um, commanders and such were kept. And so when the Taliban overran Bagram, they freed all of these prisoners, and, and the majority of them immediately returned back to the battlefield. And so one of the characters um, in the book that's, that's pretty influential and is working, you know, against um, Matt to also try and capture this uh, Taliban interpreter is a former Taliban commander that had been held in that prison in Bagram. That is scary. And I, I know my nephew did two tours in Afghanistan, and I prayed every minute mm. that he came back. <laughs> he didn't come back yeah. normal. He needed help, but he did come back, and then he went to Iran. I said, my God. And he asked to go. That's the scary part. So tell, tell mm. us why Frodo tells tell us why Frodo tells Matt he belongs in prison. And what is his reaction to that? He doesn't yeah, feel that so he that doesn't is... feel that they made a mistake. Yeah, and that so I don't want to say exactly why no, because don't that tell is, anybody why. Um, huh? Something that is uh, what Matt is trying to figure out throughout the book is why Frodo would voluntarily um, plead guilty to a murder that Matt knows Frodo didn't commit, and so that's that's one of the central um, questions in the book. And so I don't want to talk too much more about no. that, other than to say Matt tries to figure that out um, in the entire. Um, uh, book of Forgotten War, but yeah, that's that that, and and when you finally realize what happened mm -hmm. and why Frodo is is willing to do that, it it is very much indicative of what combat is like because combat is messy and mistakes sometimes are made mm -hmm. and it's it's never um, it's never quite as surgical I guess you would say as what you see on TV. But that question. Why would Frodo agree to plead guilty or say he's guilty of a murder that Matt knows he didn't commit is, is the question that kind of drives Forgotten War. But we're not going to tell them. So how does he meet <laughs> Jason, and why does he reach out to him, and what steps does he take to find him? And that's not the, Poor Matt gets hurt everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be much fun to read if things were easy for Matt. But so... Like I said, when when um, when Matt visits Frodo in prison and Frodo refuses to help Matt and, in fact, says, I belong here, just leave me, I'm guilty of murder, Matt starts investigating what happened 10 years ago and realizes that the, the, the Green Berets that Matt and Frodo supported, the men that were actually on the side of the compound because these guys – hit a, uh, a compound um, that a Taliban bomb maker was using to construct IEDs, and it was two different buildings, and so half the team went in one building and half in the other. And so the half of the team that was in the building 
where Frodo allegedly committed the murder, those um, assaulters have each died under mysterious circumstances, except for mm-hmm. one, a guy named Jason, who um, is still alive and has retired from the Army and lives on a goat farm in North Carolina. And uh, I actually, Jason is very much um, based on a friend of mine who also lives on a goat farm in North Carolina and could very much um, be that character. And so it was really fun for me um, to write. Um, both it was fun because it's a friend of mine and also because I have tremendous respect for him and to be able to put him in the book or put a character that's like him in the book was a lot of fun. And so Matt has to go find Jason, figure out what he knows, and then Jason is one of the people who um, Matt enlists to go on this um, this last operation to Afghanistan to try and find the interpreter who was in the same room with with Frodo when the Mm. murder allegedly happened. I wonder in real life if anybody would really do that, if there are really any mats out there. (laughs) I think people did do that in real life. I think when you look at the stories that come Mm. out of the Pineapple Express and what the the Mm. men, you know, Tim Kennedy lives here in Austin and his book Scars and Stripes came out. I don't know, five or six months ago, and he talks about, you know, getting asked to go to Afghanistan by a friend and putting together a team to do that, and there were lots of Tim Kennedys below the radar Mm. who went to Afghanistan on their own dime, many of them, as civilians, and went and got people out of Afghanistan, because when you were there, Mm. when we were there as Americans, we needed Afghan allies who were willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with us, Mm. knowing that we were going to be gone in a year and replaced by somebody else. And so when you look somebody in the eyes and say, if you stand with me, I promise that the might of America will protect you and protect your family, that's Mm. a blood oath. And those men, and in some cases women, who made those blood oaths to the Afghan interpreters, their Afghan commandos, the Afghan people who worked shoulder to shoulder with them, they felt honor bound to go to go rescue them and many, many of them did. That is that is amazing. So now is the next question is who is Kari Q A R I and how does he react to prison? Who who is he? What is his team about? Yeah, so he is Kari is the um the Taliban commander that um I referenced earlier, who had spent the last 10 years Mm -hmm. in that notorious prison Mm -hmm. um, inside of Bagram. And so when he gets um, released from prison by the Taliban, when they retake um, Bagram, he has some unfinished business to do from 10 years earlier. And so you don't, and I don't want to dive too much into what that is, because all Mm. of this, um, the, the reason why the surviving members of that Special Forces A team are being killed, the reason why... Frodo um, seems willing to plead guilty to a murder he didn't commit. The reason why um, Matt is is going back there with these surviving members and the reason why Kari was in that prison uh, from 10 years ago all settle on this one compound right outside the gates of Bagram. And so that operation, the one Mm. that I depict in the book, was fictionalized. But when I was in Afghanistan, we actually had an operation similar to that where we supported a SEAL team he was doing a hit on a bomb maker right outside the gates of Bagram. Oh, God. And the, and the crazy thing was at that point in Afghanistan, they'd adjusted the rules of engagement 
to say that if you were going to go hit a compound in the middle of the night, which had, had proven very, very effective, and the, the Taliban was literally, you know, afraid mm. to sleep at night because they knew that Americans would come crashing down the doors and grab them, the, because of political um, decisions and consequences, they changed the rules of engagement to say that unless you notified President Karzai, who would then turn around and notify the mayor of the place that you were going to go do this hit, you weren't allowed to do it. And so what happened is you might mm. have foreseen, as anybody with half a brain would foresee, after we started following, or not we, after U.S. forces started following those rules, they started hitting dry holes where they would go there and the Taliban guy they were after would already be gone. So my unit um, supported an operation in which the SEALs decided to go get a guy, even though they hadn't cleared it with Karzai first. And they found the bomb maker. No doubt he was guilty. He had stuff all over showing he was showcasing or making IEDs. They grabbed him, brought him back to Bagram as a successful mission, except people started to riot and the powers mm -hmm. that would be caved to political pressure, and they released that guy, even though they knew he was a bad guy, even though they knew he was guilty. And so it was kind of gallows humor, but the mm -hmm. SEAL team that we supported took the guy's AK-47, mounted it to a plaque, and gave it to our unit. And underneath the, the AK-47 was a little thing that said, at least we got to keep his gun. And that, you know, that was kind of indicative, unfortunately, of what, Afghanistan mm. had regressed to at that point, that there did not seem to be, mm. it seemed like we were treading water there, that there was not a, a plan that was articulated that says, this is how we're going to brush the rest of the Taliban, if that's what we're going to do, this is what our exit strategy was. It just, it had, even by 2005 and 2006, things had entered kind of a morass phase because Iraq was stealing much of the combat power and much of the nation's focus. And so even Rumsfeld um, mm. shortly before then made a, you know, the, the George Bush's secretary of defense had make a, made a famous quote that was somewhere along the lines of Iraq, we do what we must. And so in Afghanistan, we do what we can. And that's part of the reason why I called it the forgotten war, even though that mm. phrase traditionally is applied to the Korean war is because because of Iraq, because of entropy, because we just kept sending women and men there um, year after year after year, we kind of forgot what we were even trying to do in Afghanistan. That's sad. So now he's, he decides to go to North Carolina, and how does Lila react? And then in Chapter 22, it was very interesting, you talked about the Green Berets. Yeah, um, so Jason is in um, North Carolina, and so Matt has to go, um, like I said, and kind of find him. And I don't, mm. and I don't want to get into what no. Matt runs into because I don't want to be spoilers. But suffice it to say, with Matt, nothing is ever easy. And so he runs into in some problems yeah, no. there and then kind of recruits Jason to his cause. And so Lila, his wife, is pregnant um, with their first child. And so Matt is – and she ends up – um, getting rushed to the hospital because they think maybe she might be going into premature labor. And so it's the first time Matt has to deal with a conflict between the mission says I need to do X, but my family might say that I need to do Y. And that's very indicative of the yeah. men and women who 
served in Afghanistan because there always was that concern. You know, you missed birthdays and Christmases and births of children, and it was always a balancing act. There's a guy named Alan Mack that I'm doing a joint signing with in Columbus, and he was a night a 160th, a night stalker aviator, one of the most decorated Army helicopter pilots in history, and over a 10-year period of time, he deployed to Afghanistan 16 or 17 times. And so he was, if you've seen the movie um, Ten Strong, he was that um, Chinook helicopter pilot that flew in the original horse soldiers. And years later, when I was in Afghanistan, he was there during uh, my terrible day in Operation Red Wings. And so, you know, just think about that, that spending 15 or 16 or 17 times going back and forth to Afghanistan. Oh, God. And what does that do to your family? What does that do to your kids? How, you know, how are you able to manage that? And I wanted to show a little of that between by, by using the relationship between Matt and, and Lila to be a vehicle for that. You can imagine somebody going back and forth 20 or 30 times, whatever, what it has to do to their psychic if they didn't have PTSD when they came back. How do they react to the normal world? That's scary. I mean, they, they have yeah, to have needs some kind of help. Yeah, I think in you know combat is toxic, and it's you know it's a hard it's a hard thing to do even if you haven't been in a situation that you would potentially develop PTSD. It's hard to be gone from your family for a year. It's hard to miss those. It's hard to you know when I went to um, Afghanistan, we only had two kids, and um, my mm-hmm. oldest, I think my son was maybe three or four, and so my daughter was a year and a half, and when I came home on R&R, she didn't know who I was, and so it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, that just cuts you. It cuts you as a parent yeah. to have to do that, and when you look, when you, the crazy thing about the war in Afghanistan and in Iraq as well is that one quarter of one percent of the population of the United States bore that burden, one quarter of one percent. And most of the men and women, I'm the anomaly. I only did one tour of duty in Afghanistan. Most of the men and women who shouldered Mm -hmm. that burden for 20 years served multiple times in Iraq and Afghanistan. And and it's, you know, never, and and I don't want to take anything away from the the men and women who who served in World War II and came home Mm -hmm. and and started normal lives again. They, They saved the world and they saved democracy. But at the same time, you know, I think you would be hard-pressed to find another generation of men and women who for 20 years volunteered to go into harm's way on their nation's behalf. And not only that, but such a tiny fraction of the people of the U.S. population did that. And so, you know, I, I think that the men and women who did that for 20 years are our newest, greatest generation because they volunteered. Every single one of them volunteered and the majority of them volunteered knowing that they were going into combat, and they did it anyway. And, you know, I, I can't think of a finer example of what it means to be an American. Well, now it's different. My my uncle uh, was there in Hiroshima when they dropped the bomb, and my, my, my mother-in-law's friend was there too. So it's, like, scary when you go into combat like that. But can you imagine going in for so many years? And it probably destroys your family. I wonder how many of these wives actually stayed with their husbands and just said, I can't deal with this. So Lila has to do bed rest, right? So James wants Matt to come back. Why does he, what's the choice that he makes? And who were the shooters? 
Yeah, so I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to talk about the shooters because yeah. I don't want to. Um, that just proves I read the away, book. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. Um, so James uh, Glass is Matt's boss at the DIA. He's what's called the branch yeah. chief. And so when Matt tells James about what happened with Frodo and that their only um, their only hope is to go to Afghanistan to find this Afghan interpreter. James, for the first time in their relationship, can't support Matt and said, no, you've got to come back here. Um, we're not sending anybody new into Afghanistan, which is um, unfortunately reflective of kind of what the truth was, where it, it seemed like um, the powers that be had a number of boots on the ground that they wanted to maintain in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And it and we were we structured our mission around that political limitation rather than starting with the problem and saying, how many troops does it take to solve this problem? And so, again, what you're talking about is, is where Matt had to make the decision, am I willing to go this alone and do what, like I said, many of the folks we referenced with the Pineapple Express did, or am I going to play the safe route and stay home with my bedridden wife and listen to what my boss says. And if you know anything about Matt Drake, he doesn't take the safe route. And Forgotten War would be a pretty boring book if he did, I think. I would have been surprised if he took the easy way out. But before I forget, (laughs) Monday, this is really sad, Maya Oba will be here with a book called Taking Back My Soul. She was sold at 16 by her miserable father to a man that abused her for 30 years. Because the father was getting money for her dowry. And I cried the entire time I read the book. It was sent to me as an extra, and I couldn't put it down. So she's coming on Monday. Somebody we all know and love, Patrick Moore, will be here next week on Wednesday with 27 Days. And on the 8th, the author of Liquid Shades of Blue. On the 10th, I'm not sure. I didn't get the book yet. On the 16th, Alan Zendransky. On the 17th, somebody we know and love, David Putnam. And on the 18th, former FBI agent Mark Bowden talks about Does Your Guy Lie? D.P. Lyle on the 22nd, um, M.P. Handler, uh, M.P. Woodward on the 24th. I'm reading his book now. You got you cannot put down uh, Dead Drop. And on the 25th, to end the month, nothing more than Jane Ann Kranz, Amanda Quick, The Bride War White. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is so fantastic. So that that's just... Um, Part of part of every a uh, part of May and April. There's a lot more coming in June. So, how did you intertwine the present and the past in order to find and try to clear to find out what happened to Cradle? Yeah, so that was um, that was a really hard thing to do because I I, I yeah. wanted to um, I wanted to use the actual events that were occurring in Afghanistan mm-hmm. over that period of time. But I also mm-hmm. needed to slow them down a bit so that it would have more dramatic effect and I could show what was happening. So this is the first note, uh, book where I actually have an author's note at the end of the book explaining, you know, what happened, where I stayed true to the current events, and maybe where I slowed it down a little bit. And I was also very conscious of the fact, you know, I dedicated to the book to the 13 men and women who mm-hmm. were killed um, by a suicide bomber on at Abbey Gate. And I wanted – to be true to their memory. I wanted it to be a testament to the sacrifice they saved, but my job as a writer, a writer of fiction, is to write a very entertaining story. Mm. And so I, I, I wanted to integrate bits of truth into that. And so what I did is I used the um, the events in Afghanistan as kind of the metronome that is keeping the book moving 
and is kind of mm. placing in time where you are and then wove um, what Matt and Jason and the rest of the crew were overdoing in Afghanistan around that. And so you can see, like I said, there are, there are elements um, that never happened because I, I, you know, made that up as part of the story. And then there are real life events that you can see Matt and his team navigating as part of that, because I just, I wanted, like I said, I wanted to tell a really compelling story. That's always my first job. But then I also wanted to give, mm. you know, if only one quarter of 1% of the American population served in Afghanistan and Iraq, there's probably a better than average chance that the, you know, normal reader who picks up this book maybe not, doesn't know anybody who served and doesn't have a family member who served. And so I wanted to provide kind of a vantage point or a window into the mindset of the people who did and hopefully Forgotten War does that. Well, I'm skipping the next two questions because I don't want to give it away. But Matt Matt is amazing. How does he manage to get so many people to help him? And what happens with the with the girl and Zafir? What happens with them? Do they get yes. her? Yes, I don't want to give that away and tell what happens yeah, I know. to her. But to get to answer your question Getting fellow veterans to help um, is easier than you think in that, mm-hmm. like I said, if, if I point back again to the, to the men and women who formed the Pineapple Express and all the other unnamed groups that did it, you know, they just have that obligation, that sense of service of I have to do something. I can't sit back and let the people who, who, who put their trust in America through me um, I can't let them be captured by the Taliban. And so I don't know mm-hmm. the full number of civilians who flowed into Afghanistan to help get people out, but it was a sizable number. Mm-hmm. And even among, you know, my friends, I was texting with my old first sergeant and, and said, hey, he, he works for an organization that was providing uh, helicopters and munitions and stuff to the Afghan Air mm-hmm. Force. And I said, you know, are there still – helicopters over there and he's like I can tell you where the helicopters are and I can tell you what hangar the missiles are in or the rockets are in and so you you know at some point I was you know not re- not not realistically thinking about going to, mm-hmm. our, to back to Afghanistan but I was struck by that urge and then I if I could go back and help if I could do something I would in a heartbeat and then there were like I said men and women who took that a step further and actually went and did and did amazing work and so Finding the people willing to go, um, I don't think is it was nearly as difficult as you imagine. So, what, who are Basser and Salem, and why so many missions for them? Um, I think those are the folks that were working uh, high high value targets mm. for the Taliban, and so that's another. When I did, mm. I don't want to go too much into that, but when I did research for Forgotten War. I really started um, digging into how had the Taliban made the advances that they made so quickly and how had they overwhelmed um, the Afghan forces that we as as Americans had spent 20 years training. And so there were some really interesting things that I found in ways, you know, I think we as Americans often think of the Taliban as just cavemen. And um, while their views on – on women and um, the ways that they implement their version or their interpretation of, of uh, Islam is, is very different and very abhorrent to most of us. The fact is they were very good fighters and they proved 
um, they proved an ability to adapt over time and to be able to use modern technology and to be able to figure out, much like um, what the Ukrainians are doing with the Russians, to figure out ways to negate the technological overmatch um, that, mm. that the U.S. had and then that, frankly, the Afghan um, army should have had. And so I put some vignettes in there um, that, that make things more interesting to show uh, how some of that worked in Forgotten War. You know what bothers me is that these poor women that live there before the Taliban, that they keep them as if they're nothing. They can't go to school. They can't do this. They can't do that. I think that would drive a person in America crazy. I don't think people, kids here realize how lucky they ought to be here and not there. That's what's really sad is that there's so many yeah. freedoms that we have that they don't have, and that's not right either. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a famous uh, black and white picture that from, I think, the 50s or 60s. I don't know if it was mm -hmm. in Life magazine or where it was, but it shows Kabul, um, and this mm -hmm. is before, obviously long before the Taliban took over, before um, kind of that repressive um, mm -hmm. view of, of Islam was imposed on them. And you see... Um, the you know it's this picture of of college kids and girls and stuff and it looks like it could be a picture uh, from America you know the girls are wearing skirts mm. and blouses and stuff like that and now you know you see as you alluded to what it's like for them now where you know a woman can't leave the house without a male escort and a woman has to mm. wear you know a burqa or some view of it and it's and that um, you know showed a lot of that in Afghanistan or in Forgotten War too because there was those there were those heartbreaking instances of uh, the brave men and women who ran schools that included women and allowed women to come to school of the Taliban rounding them up and executing or the Taliban throwing acid on little girls who were trying to go to school and or stoning people to death for the crime of, of breaking one of their crazy rules. And it's just – it's hard to fathom. It's hard for an American mind to fathom that – such darkness exists in the 21st century and, and is being actively um, actively put into place, uh, you know, as, as you sit in your, in your comfortable um, freedoms here in America that you've grown up, in, up under and, a, and expect um, just as you expect the sun to rise in the morning. And so I, I wanted to show a lot of that or show mm. a, a, give a window to that in Forgotten War. Well, you you did, and it bothers me because, I mean, I taught for a very long time. I won't say how long, but I did. And the one thing the kids, I never had a problem with, the children ever saying to me, we don't want to be here. Just as long as you show up, we're here. And that means a lot because it meant that education meant something to them. I think the most gratifying thing is that my students are on Facebook. They're not that much younger than me, and they tell me every single day <laughs> that without my without me, they would be in deep trouble. And one of them even said, he was yeah. on my show last month, he said, without her, I would be in jail. And he started a mm -hmm. group called um, Team Spartan Spades, you know, an exercise group. So at least, you know, sometimes you make a difference and sometimes you don't. So the final yeah. battles are, tr are tragic. How did you link Zafir, Fang, Quarry together, and Garrett? How did you leave, link all of those battles together? And it was sad. Yeah, and so, and so, and I appreciate you saying that. And so again, I, I, um, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to no. give away what's happening. But all of the threads in the book are are resolved in that final sequence, mm -hmm. and it was. Um, 
it was really it was really hard to do because I think you know I'm I'm by nature an optimist I think I think most Americans probably are and you want the story you want a story you write or a story you read to have you know a quote unquote happy ending mm. but Afghanistan wasn't a happy ending you know no. what happened in in August of 2021 was a tragedy and there's no way there's no in my opinion no honest way to spin that as something other than a, a man-made tragedy and so the book unfortunately reflects that and it's a it was a hard book to to write I, I i think there's a a theme of hope hopefully that that is in the pages and stuff but there's still some some very hard things that happen in forgotten war well i have to tell you this is amazing i got the book last week by the way i was like oh my god am i going to get this in time <laughs> to interview don I, I have to be very honest i sat just sat down and read it in two hours, and then I read it again. So I wanted to make oh, sure. Wow. I did. I really did. And I'm reading one now, and I won't tell you what it is. Well, actually, it's Dead Drop. It's excellent, but I'm taking my time because he's very detailed, and I want to make sure mm-hmm. that I get that right. But this was like, yeah. oh, my God. So Frodo and Matt, what do they have to reconcile at the end? Yeah, so... Um... Uh, first off, I appreciate you saying that, Fran, and that it resonated with you. It's been really rewarding for me because the early reviews that I got for Forgotten War kind of echoed a similar um, theme in that they'd say, hey, this was an incredible thriller and I couldn't put it down. But yeah. there was also a sense of, of heart or an emotional core it really resonated with me that I wasn't expecting in a book in this genre, that it, it grabbed me by the heartstrings that there were, you know, I, I, it was a great book and, and, you know, great action and everything that I'd expect in this thriller. And then this kind of sucker punch that, that made me feel things I wasn't expecting to feel uh, for mm-hmm. a book in this genre. And I really, uh, really, really appreciate that. And so the final scene, um, with Matt and Frodo is, is kind of that reconciliation between two, two men who are as different as night and day, but have become brothers because of what they served Mm -hmm. and, and, and what they experienced together in Afghanistan and Iraq and all over, but particularly in Afghanistan. And they have to come to terms with that and come to terms that their relationship has changed because of some things that happened in forgotten war. But hopefully there's also, it ends with a, with somewhat of a, a, a thread of hope, like I said, because as dark as Afghanistan was and as tragic as that August um, August debacle was and those 13 really kids, you know, you look, the older you get, the younger yeah. everybody else looks. And when you see those, those 13 kids um, were literally standing on freedom's frontier. They were standing on the wall um, it, 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 for all of us. They were standing on the line between good and evil, and they died doing that. And and it's tragic, and it shouldn't have happened. Um, mm. But hopefully, when you read the the epilogue, um, hopefully there's there's kind of a thread of hope that echoes through that. I had cried at the end, but then there was that last paragraph that made me smile. I won't say I'll tell anybody mm. whether it was. And I said, okay, at least something positive came out of something. Yeah. So. Where, yeah. where are they going to wind up next? What's next for them? Are you going to continue with Afghanistan or something different? And when am I getting the Tom Clancy book? <laughs> yeah. 
So I'll answer <laughs> the the first question first. So I'm I've been very very fortunate. Um, you mentioned Tom Clancy that for the last two and a half years I've been writing um, my yeah, math books, and then at the same time um, my Tom Clancy Jack Ryan Jr. books, and then. Um, earlier this year, I learned that I'd been selected to uh, take over the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp series for Kyle Mills. And so I just, so oh, this nice. year's a bit crazy for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, very excited about that. And so this year's a bit crazy for me in that I have three books that come out. So Forgotten War came out yesterday, is the fourth book in my Matt Drake series. And then Flashpoint, you just referenced, comes out on the 23rd of May. And then my, oh, which is my third Tom Clancy book, and then my fourth Tom Clancy book that's called Weapons Grade, I just turned into my editor, and that comes out in September. And so from a writing perspective, I'm now um, turning to my first Mitch Rat book, and I'm very excited about it. I've got a call uh, with my editor next week to talk about some ideas for that. And so after I finish this Mitch Rat book, I'm not sure – what I'm going to work on next. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of different options. And so it could be another Matt book. It could be another Tom Clancy book, or it could be a standalone book because my editor and I have talked about some ideas I have for that. So the best way to stay up on um, what I'm doing is if you go to my website at donbentleybooks.com, it's just B-E-N-T-L-E-Y, you can sign up for my newsletter. And as soon as I figure it out, I promised my newsletter subscribers they would know first. As far as you getting a book, um, I just emailed my editor uh, this morning right before we jumped on the, the phone to say, hey, I still haven't seen um, the book go out to people yet. When are they going to get it? And so hopefully yeah. you'll get it soon. I'll just put it on my and, pile that's inside. You have no idea. I just got um, – book mail has really been pretty crap, pretty good and pretty bad, and I don't have some of the books for next month. But I got yours last week, and I got um, M.P. Woodard's, Woodard's book, and I got Mark Cameron's book, uh, Breakneck. That's all. I'm reading all of them at the same time. That's awesome. That's and, and Mark is a phenomenal writer. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And I'm sure he's his book is going to be great. But his Tom Clancy yeah, book is different than Clancy. yours, though. You started, well, you're yeah. getting Jack Dryan Jr. He started the book, the last one, Red Winter, with... Um, Jack Ryan Sr. at the beginning when Jack yep. Ryan Jr. was four or two. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, he writes he writes Sr. and I write Jr., but I wanted to give a shout-out yeah. to M.P. Woodward because his first book, uh, The Handler, was phenomenal. Um, oh, Dead yeah. Dead Drop I haven't read yet, but he and I are doing a joint signing in, in Austin together when um, when Flashpoint, my next Clancy book, comes out, and I can't wait to read uh, dead drop because the handler was just phenomenal and um, and Mike was a uh, intelligence officer in the Navy and so he understands how this works. He's his books are incredibly well done and uh, I think I think dead drop is going to be phenomenal. Well, I can tell you, I read 150 pages yesterday. Only have 150 <laughs> more to go, and I have to tell you, uh, Meredith and John are back. That's all I'm going to tell you about that. Good. Um, yeah, Good. you have to see what they get, what she, what they get into this time, and the, the other one, Khalidi, is back, and that's all I'll tell you. You're gonna want to read it, because once you start reading it, you're gonna go like, wait a minute, how did that happen? <laughs> and the guy that I really don't like, Rance, is back too. So that's <laughs> all I'm gonna say. He's a great writer. 
Yeah, he is. He's real. It's very, but there's a lot of, you'll probably get it faster than me because it's a lot of political, political stuff, a lot of, wow, mm. it's really good. I can't put it down, but I'm taking my time because I want to make sure that when I write my review, and he's coming on um, May 24th. Great, great. Yeah, I think I think our our interview or our uh, joint signing might be right around then too. So he'll be fresh off talking to you when when we do our signing well, together good. in Austin. Well, yeah. I'm very careful. Yeah. I got, I'll have to send him the the whatever. So what's happening before we go? What's happening in in Afghanistan now? Yeah. So now the Taliban are in charge, and so that's sad. Um, the yeah, a lot of a lot of people believed or wanted to believe that they would be more moderate and they would um, allow mm. women to keep uh, some of their freedoms, and and that hasn't proven to be the case. And so it's it's sad. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything more you can say than it's sad. I'll tell you a little secret. I wish that the women would just rise up and get rid of them, and show them that there's women power. It's really too bad that they can't just say we're not going to do this and then stand together. But I guess they're afraid. But this has been yeah. fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. The, everybody, oh, by the way, Forgotten War, and yesterday Robert Dagoni was on with um, her Deadly Game. Those two books go in mm. the pile for my dermatologist, who I have to visit every <laughs> week. Not for, not, for, not for me. I have to visit him every week to bring him books for his wife. I'm serious. <laughs> so when I went yesterday, I like T said, "Where's my Daniel Silva?" And they sent me a copy of that, and I had to get my own because he wanted to read it first. <laughs> well, if I I'm make serious. the list for your dermatologist, I, it sounds like I'm in good company anyway. Yeah, he's a reader and he's really smart, and he says I'm the only patient that he talks to for more than five minutes because I'm the only one that reads. <laughs> So thank you so much, everybody. It's a beautiful day. Get a copy of Forgotten War. We need to remind everybody what really happened. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis. Everybody have a great day, and bye.